Bureaucracy's basement to your ears. This is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau file reports, make recommendations, draft policies, and stave off dehydration by getting moisture from the boiler pipes. One day, maybe, they'll escape from the subterranean hell that is the Queen City Improvement Bureau. But until then, this city is not going to improve itself. And this meeting is now in session. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm doing... Is that good? The, I'm doing the way I do. Excellent. That's, I'm uh, glad to hear that. That's just a little phrase I picked up, just to inject a little life into the meetings. Okay. You know, the way I do. The way you do. I probably should stop doing that. You probably yeah, should that's do gonna that thing you do. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna, definitely going to get annoying quick, yeah. so I'll stop. Oh, oh so we should uh, do attendance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we have a meeting. We have a meeting, and we should, we're professionals, so let's, let's get started. Um, first attendee, Claude Fenn. P-H-E-N-E, Fenn. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, Claude, who is Claude Fenn? Who is Claude Fenn? You might ask. I'm glad you were about to ask, because that is a piece of information to which I have definitely have access to. No questions. I mean... Why would like why would I allow somebody in here and put them on the list if I didn't even know who they were? You don't know who they are. That, that would be this would be like a significant dereliction of my duty. You haven't got a clue who Claude Fenn is, do you? That is ridiculous. Claude Fenn is uh, he's our attendee. And have you ever thought about the word attendee? Like how ridiculous it shouldn't it be attender? Like, uh, do you not see the problem here? I really, I really have never thought about we it. We should maybe spend this entire meeting talking about that instead of Claude Fenn and whoever that might be. Maybe if Claude was here, he could sort this all out for us. You know, actually, I think I've made it. I see I've made a little mistake here. Uh, it isn't Claude Fenn at all. I've mixed up the letters. It should be so take this, Paul Duchenne. Oh, that's me. Oh, okay. So and you're I'm here. present. Mark me down. Okay, you're as present. in the meeting. Okay, uh, and our next attendee is someone named Rando Gaia Man. Rando Gaia Man. Yes, yes. Uh, once Chad Haldeman, heir to the Haldeman bitumen fortune. Right. Uh, but on the eve of you know of, of of inheriting all his bitumen money on his 21st birthday he uh happened on a website called bitumen is the worst dot net okay uh the internet's one-stop aggregator for bitumen conspiracy theories okay and is that what they call themselves because yes huh, that, you'd think that would like tip people off that they're just conspiracy theories yeah i know they uh, they're not very self-aware okay yeah uh, so they're they're kind of locking in that. Anyway, so he uh, he read he read up and he changed his name from Chad Haldeman to Random Gaia Man. Oh, and he's Random been, Gaia Man. Ra- Rando Gaia Man. Rando and Gaia he, Man. Yeah, he, okay. and he's been that makes more sense. Even a lot more sense. And he's been he's been crusading against bitumen and all things bituminous. Yeah, for the past two decades at least. Huh? Yeah. How's that going for him? I don't know. He doesn't seem to be here. <laughs> Okay. And, uh. Um, well then. It's going to be a short meeting then. So, wait, um, if you could, um, this is a little awkward. Uh, I seem to have mixed up the letters in his name. Hold on. So, our, it should be Aiden Morgan. That's you. Oh, 
perfect. And you can mark yourself present. I am present. Do we have quorum? More or less. Hmm? Do we have quorum? No, uh, no, we do so. not have quorum. Okay. Uh, five so, for that, apparently. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> five for quorum. Yeah. That seems, seems a little arbitrary. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, what's, what's next on our agenda? Well, we actually have a guest. Oh, nice. We do. Oh. Yes. We have Edward Willett. Oh, hello. Hey, Edward. How are you doing? I'm fine. Yeah? Great. I just had a bit of a trouble getting down here in the sub-sub-basement, and I'm pretty sure down at the end of the one corridor where the lights are burned out, I saw a three-headed dog. I just thought maybe you should be aware of that. Oh, yeah, that's oh, that's yeah. Patty. Oh, yeah. don't worry about that. Yeah. He was he had, like, glowing red eyes, but okay, if you say it's okay. No, Patty, Patty's fine. He's, he's cool with us. Three heads, gates to hell, the whole deal. I used to work in City Hall, but I was on the 15th floor. I never knew this place oh. existed, so this yeah. is very exciting hmm. for me. We are we are a well kept secret. Yeah, apparently yeah, that's even how we can get our all our work done because nobody's pestering us and giving us extra work. Precisely. Excuse yeah. me, I just have to lick a boiler pipe here. Yeah, no, go go right ahead. Yeah, even uh, even uh, HR and payroll doesn't seem to know that we exist. <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, but we love our work, mm. and uh, one of the things that we do is we uh, we speak to. Uh, Improvement vector candidates, people, uh, local people who uh, are a vector towards the improvement of the Queen City. And uh, you were recommended to us uh, because of your your voluminous writing career. Voluminous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I have written a few things. Yeah. A few things? <laughs> uh, 60 books, is it? Uh, well, I, wow. I don't have an exact count, but that's the number I've been using recently. Oh, okay. Um, that, we do that, too. <laughs> we filed 60 reports last month. We really need a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them are really short books, if that makes any difference. But oh, yeah, okay. I've, uh, I've written a lot of about twenty novels, and the rest are nonfiction of one sort or another. Some of which are local history books and things like that. So, cool. but my fiction is all science fiction and fantasy. Yes. Nice. And you have um, you have a new book coming out right now, a collection of short stories. Yes, just Path released. To the stars? Yeah. It's called Paths to the Stars: Twenty Two Fantastical Tales of the Imagination. Because I like long subheads. Um, <clears throat> published by Shadow Pop Press, which is something I started myself huh. uh, here in the Queen City to improve it. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yes, it just came out uh, this week, available at uh, anywhere online. You want to look, you'll find it. And Chapters Regina will have some copies in. I'll be doing a signing there on July 28th if people want to come and actually you know, see what I look like. Or cool. maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, I'm very excited to get to put it out. It, it really kind of covers my whole uh, writing career. The the oldest story in the book I wrote when I was 19 in university. Oh my god! It came second, I think, in a creative <laughs> writing contest at my university. And that was just a little while ago, though, right? Yeah, it was like the year before last or so. I, okay. something like that. And then the most recent one was just published in an anthology uh, earlier this year. So it really does kind of span my whole. My whole career. <laughs> <laughs> so is this like uh, is this like B sides or is it um, the stuff you hadn't gotten around to publishing? Yet? The majority of it was published before. Each one has an introduction that says where it was published before. Uh, there's a few things in there that never found a home. Maybe there's a thing or two in there that never should have found a home, but it has a home now. So, <laughs> so it, there were some stories that I thought that I really liked that I thought, well, this is a chance to get those out in front of people too. And a couple of stories are interesting because they uh, they led to novels. Uh, there's one called Lost in Translation, which was published by uh, the late lamented science fiction magazine Transversions, mm -hmm. and. Uh, 
it turned into my first novel for my New York publisher, Daw Books, okay, called Lost in Translation. And no, it has nothing to do with the Bill Murray movie. And I've answered that question so many times. <laughs> I'll cross that off yes, my list. list. And then another one, uh, it was called Sins of the Fathers originally. And I, it turned into... Uh, Marsiguro, which was my novel that won the Aurora Award for Best Canadian Science Fiction oh, Novel. Okay. So uh, there's a couple of things in there for the you know my voluminous fans will be able to uh, look and say, oh, I recognize that from the book. Hey, that's, that's really cool. cool. I hope. Cool. <laughs> um, Marsiguro, so you won the Aurora Prize for that in yeah. 2009. Yes, technically it was best long-form work in English at the time was what it was called. So. Now, and this is a sci-fi book, but it's about selkies? Yeah, they're called selkies, but they're actually humans who've been genetically modified to breathe underwater. Okay. They're amphibious. Mm. And they call themselves selkies because, of course, a selkie is a wear seal. You know, goes in the water and it's a seal that comes on land and it's a, it's a human being. Uh, the, the basic idea of the story is that genetically modified humans fled Earth because of the rise of a really nasty religious sect called the Body Purified, which you can probably tell from the name, really didn't like genetically modified humans. And um, they flee to this water world, and they hide out just fine for 80 years, and Earth has forgotten about them. And, but there's a few people among them that think maybe the Body Purified had a point, and one of these guys gets a message back to Earth, and the next thing you know, they're under attack from Earth. Hmm. And uh, that's kind of the premise of the story. And then there's a sequel called, and Marsiguro means safe sea in Portuguese, by the way. Sort of like safe harbor kind of thing. And the second book in the series is called A Terra in Segura, which means unsafe earth. Uh. And the body count is even higher in the second <laughs> book. Most of the population of earth in the second book I managed wow. to wipe out. So, you know, the power. Were you, were you working through something when you were doing this? Or? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just what science fiction writers do. We tend to blow up planets at the, you know, just because things are getting a little dull on the page. So look yeah. at poor Alderaan, right? Yeah. They didn't yeah. have to blow up Alderaan. But they thought it would look cool on the screen. So, yeah. Indeed it did. I mean, that's well, at least that's what I thought when I was six years old and watching Star Wars for the first time. You were six when I was I was older than that. <laughs> <laughs> first movie I ever saw in the theater. Yeah. Back when. Actually, I think the first movie I can remember seeing in the theater was also science fiction, but it was Fantastic Voyage. Oh, wow. Raquel Welsh and yes. the miniature submarine in the guy's bloodstream. I watched it again not that long ago, and it doesn't hold up. It had its moments. <laughs> it blew me away when I was six years old. Fair enough. <laughs> is that like is was that the sort of stuff that was formative for you? Is that like why you decided to go towards science fiction? Was it, the uh, the movies and stuff? It wasn't really movies. It was always books and short stories. But I have two older brothers, and they both read science fiction. So there were science fiction paperbacks around the house, and somewhere along the way, I uh, I gravitated to them. And, yeah, I, I latched on to that. Um, I can remember reading. Robert Silverberg wrote a book when he was 19 called um, Revolt on Alpha C, which I still have a copy of. came mm. out in like, basically the year I was born. And uh, that one made a big impact on me. And then Robert A. Heinlein, everything he wrote, because he wrote what were called juveniles at the time. We'd call them YA books now. Um, in the 50s, and I read all those. And Andre Norton was another big influence. She wrote a mm. lot of uh, young adult science fiction and fantasy. So uh, I wrote my first short story when I was 11 years old, and it was called Castra Glass Hypership Test Pilot. So you can see that my course <laughs> oh. was set right wow. from the beginning. That sounds fantastic. Do you have a copy? <laughs> I, it, there's a copy somewhere. I haven't found it. The minute I find it, it's going online, but I haven't found it yet. Yeah, or in a book. Well, 
Yeah. Well, I probably wouldn't put that one in. Oh, okay. The other, what, what happened with it was that uh, my mother was a secretary, and she had a nice IBM Selectric typewriter. She typed it up for me, so it looked very professional. And I gave it to my English teacher at the Weyburn Junior High School, Tony Tunbridge, and uh, he critiqued it properly. He didn't just say, oh, you wrote a wonderful story. He said, I don't understand why your aliens act like that, and this didn't make sense to me, and you need to think about this. And some, I've, I've said ever since that something about that kind of tweaked me and said, you know, I can do better the next time. And uh, actually, I dedicated my most recent book from Daw, The City Born, which comes out in paperback in August. Um, it was out in hardcover last year. I um, dedicated it to Tony Tunbridge, my <laughs> junior high uh, English teacher from Wayburn. So through high school, I wrote a novel a year. Wow. Uh, and then I kept writing, and I had 10 or 11 unpublished novels before I, anybody actually published one. Wow. So there's... Um, Stephen King has a famous saying that uh, anybody who wants to be a writer will usually write half a million words of unpublishable stuff before they get anything publishable. <laughs> this was, of course, in the more traditionally published universe. Now you can have it online in half an hour if you want to at Amazon. Um, and I've also heard that uh, a another version of that, which is that the difference between published writer and unpublished writer is that the published writer didn't quit. Well, I didn't quit. <laughs> and those are in the days when submissions were you put them in a box and you sent them off. And if you were lucky, you heard something in six months or a year mm. or never. And uh, I would get these nice rejections. The worst one was actually the very first book I tried to sell. Went to, uh, it was called uh, The Minstrel at the time. It's now called Star Song. And it will probably be coming out from Shadow Pop Press because it never has found a home. Went to Walker & Company, which was a major publisher at the time, and they were doing young adult science fiction. And the editor there, Josepha Sherman, got back to me and said, oh, you know, yeah, I'd like to see, like, you've left a big hole in the middle. There was a big time jump. I think you need to fill that in. So I did a big rewrite, sent it back to her, and got this letter from her that said that was exactly what it needed. I was prepared to make you an offer. But the publisher died, and his son took over oh. and said, we're not doing this science fiction stuff anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> that was like the first novel I had tried to to sell in the early 90s, and it would have completely changed my writing career because as it was, oh, it was in the 80s, not the 90s. As it was, it was 97 before I had anything published, and that was with a terrible publisher whose name shall remain... <laughs> I'd have to spit on the ground if I said it. So that's <laughs> oh, okay. You're in the basement. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Um, how do you think? How do you feel about the changes that have been taking place with publishing? That uh, it there used to be the gatekeepers used to be much more I don't know looming and ominous and off in the distance. Well, gatekeepy. Yeah. Yeah. Gatekeepy. More gatekeepy. <laughs> yeah. And now <laughs> like we had a dog, uh, Patty, down the yes. hallway there. Yeah. And now anybody can write their you know their Avatar: The Last Airbender. You know, yeah. It's fan I fiction mean, and publish it. I don't mind. Uh, if if they can find a market and they can find people that want to read it, then great, because those people are obviously finding something in that that they were not finding somewhere else. I think the traditionally published world still certainly has a place, um, just in the quality of the production sometimes, not always. Yeah. I mean, an independent publisher can do a, well, I think... I think, frankly, that my independently published book, which I happen to have a copy of, <laughs> look, I'll hold it up <laughs> to the microphone... Um, turned out really well, right? Yeah. So uh, there's nothing that says you can't produce a professional-looking and edited book on your own. Uh, but there is still things that the traditional publisher offers 
Um, and some of that is still the gatekeeping because, like, my editor at Daw Books, Sheila E. Gilbert, has won Hugo Award, and so has the other uh, publisher there, Betsy Wolheim. And she's been doing this since so the mid-'80s, so 30 years now at least. Well, when she sees a science fiction manuscript, she knows what needs to be done. Yeah. There's a level of uh, editing and uh, experience that you get from the experienced editors at a major publishing house that you don't get even from a freelance editor that you might hire. And I do some freelance editing, too, but even if you come through me, you're not getting the same level of experience as someone who lives and breathes science fiction publishing every single day. Right. So I do think there's still a place for that, but from an author's point of view, the fact that you can get your work out whether you can find a traditional publisher for it or not is can be very exciting. And there are people making way more money independently publishing books than I make through traditional publishing. And I hate those people. No, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But there you are can millions, be honest here. There are millions, millions, not millions, but thousands more who aren't selling, yeah. you know, very many copies to anybody. It's the discoverability and the fact that if you publish independently, you've got to do so much work, as I'm beginning to find out. Right. Uh, on your yeah. own, which is time you're not spending writing. Yeah. So, to each his own. But one thing that concerns me about writers that get into that mindset is that it's so easy to put stuff out that maybe you put something out that is not what you could have put out if you had gone through the more traditional years of right. paying your dues, and maybe mm. you're cutting yourself short on what kind of quality work you might have produced had you taken the longer. Of course, that sounds like an argument for starving in a garret. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious, what's it like to look at stuff that you've written when you were 19 years old and learning your craft, as opposed to something that you just have written recently? I see a, in the older stories. I see a few things that I probably would do differently, but they're not bad. And I read every one and went over and made a few minor changes, but I didn't do any minor major uh, rewriting on anything. Um. <clears throat> I actually was not a bad writer, <laughs> even then. I'm better now. I think uh, I hope that every book that comes out is better than the one before. But I don't particularly feel ashamed of it. There's a I'm going to Dragon Con this year oh, for the nice. first time in Atlanta, and there's a panel, and I've done a version of it at World Science Fiction before. Uh, writers reading the Juvenalia, where you read the stuff that you wrote as a kid. Right. I did a, a panel in Denver at WorldCon with uh, Sarah Hoyt, Josh Palmatier, and Connie Willis, I think, were the four of us that were, were on there. Connie, who, if you know science fiction, is a major, major writer. She started out writing True Confessions, and so oh, she read a little bit really? of her True Confessions stuff. But I had one of my high school novels, and I, I read some of that. And my high school novels are definitely a notch below what I produced <laughs> a little later on. There's some very funny stuff in there. But there's, it still shows flashes of decent writing. And I think it, when I say to young writers now, always, is you have to read, read, read. You have to really absorb the way that words are used in stories and books. Uh, and you can't get it from watching movies. You can't write a novel from watching movies because I've seen those too, and they read like bad fan fiction because that's essentially what they are. Um, they, the, the use of the words and, and stuff like that is is important. And I'm actually... Can I can I promote something else here? You yeah. may. Uh, very, very shortly, I'm starting my own um, podcast called The World Shapers. Oh. And uh, I will be interviewing science fiction fantasy writers about the creative process, how they work through the issues that we all face when we're writing. I've got 
Well, for my first few uh, so far, who said they take part, John Scalzi, um, Robert J. Sawyer, Tanya Huff, Julia Sharnada, Art Slade, um, oh, yeah. and Gareth L. Powell, who's a British writer, have all said they will be part of this. So I'm really looking forward to getting that started and talking to other writers about this stuff that really fascinates me about this whole creative process and how we, we all solve the same problems of telling stories. Cool. Oh, that's, uh, that sounds like a well worth a listen. I hope so. Yeah. When, when do you think that'll be coming down the pike? Uh, my goal is to have. I'm, I was arranging interviews just today, actually. My goal is to have about three ready when I officially launch it, and I hope to have it launched uh, before I go to When Words Collide, which is a literary convention in Calgary, August 10th to 12th. So hopefully in about three weeks. All right. Oh, cool. Weeks. Yeah. Nice. I may be underestimating what's involved, but I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so I should mention that we are uh, on 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio, and this is the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and we're speaking with uh, Edward Willett, a science fiction author here in the Queen City. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Song of the Sword. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's so one of my favorites. <laughs> that's, that is an Arthurian legend that you set... In Wisconsin, like Wisconsin Lake, figures in this book. How did you cram Arthurian legends into the Queen City? It was very simple. Um, I was walking around. I live close to the lake, and I walk around it. And it's misty in the morning. Sometimes you can't see across the lake. And I thought, you know, anything could be in that lake. Since I'm a big King Arthur fan, what naturally came to mind was, oh, the Lady of the Lake could be in Wisconsin Lake. And so the whole premise of the story is that this teenage girl sees the. the meets the Lady of the Lake in literally down underneath Wascana Lake in kind of a watery chamber. And uh, the Lady of the Lake tells her that she is the heir to the Lady's power. And she and this boy that just happens, those are air quotes, I guess those don't work on the radio, just happens to be um, with her, um, have to find the scattered shards of the sword Excalibur before Merlin can. And Merlin's the bad guy in the book. And in my world, he's... Uh, like a Steve Jobs, Bill Gates computer type guy. He runs a big <laughs> nice. computer company called Excalibur Computer Systems. And that's the premise. Each book, there's a different shard in play, and they go all, all over the world because part of her power is she can travel through water and uh, take Wally with her. And uh, it it goes all over the world, but there's a lot of Saskatchewan in it. I'd like to say that the second book in the series, Twist of the Blade, um, has the only scene that will ever exist in any fantasy novel that's set in Bennett's Gas in Chamberlain. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know George R. R. Martin is thinking about that for the right. last, but I don't think he's actually going to do it. So I think I've got that one. And then the, they, there's stuff at Prince Albert, Saskatoon, Cypress Hills. And uh, in the very last book, I trashed Cannington Manor. So that was fun. Nice. <laughs> About time. <laughs> Somebody had to do that. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, when you, like, what do you, how, does, how does the Queen City appear? Like, what, what, is, what is the Queen City like in your novel? Like, how, how would you characterize it's, the Queen City in, uh, in a fantasy novel? It's just the city that we know with a few slight changes for artistic uh, reasons. Like uh, the school they go to is basically Balfour, but Balfour doesn't quite fit what I need, so it's called Oscana Collegiate. Okay. And the Catholic school next to it is called St. Dunstan's because that has an Arthurian connection. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and uh, so little things like that. But I could tell you exactly where my characters live. And uh, one character lives on Harrington Mews, which is a little cul-de-sac just off of the Albert Street Bridge. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's our city, and there's no reason why you can't set 
fantasy in Regina like anywhere else. As my wife likes to say, if you're here, you think Tuscany is exotic. If you live in Tuscany, you think Moose Jaw is exotic. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, there's no reason fantasy has to be set in any special place. Well, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because um, I had this thing that I wanted to pitch to you. I had this idea for a fantasy novel that involved two ruggedly handsome civil servants. Interesting. Who work in the sub-basement of a city hall. Hmm. and um, Oh, and they, they have a science fiction author on their show, you, and, they like ne- and, and they imprison him and never let him leave. No. And force him to tell us stories all the time. Yeah, it was going to be an anthology series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's... in part two, he kills us and gets away. Yeah, oh, I, like this I, I was going to say, I see a really bad ending to that. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> because the civil servants may be ruggedly handsome, but the science fiction author is bigger than either one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, this, this yeah. is an issue. And yeah, we've been in the basement a long time. <laughs> and we're, we're very I wasn't pale going to say anything about yeah. the pale, <laughs> but yes. I haven't stood an up Emaciated look. It's... <laughs> Well, it's hard to get to that vending machine. You know, it's usually out of sandwiches. Well, um, I'm, I'm afraid we have to wrap it up. Oh. Uh, thanks a lot for coming in. Don't wrap me up. That's way to, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. I wasn't going to say. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I think, how, how did he do with the, the rubric? He, he did. Uh, he passed with uh, flying colors. Not literally. Colors don't fly. Um, unfortunately, our dot matrix printer ran out of dots. So I was unable to print up a certificate, but I've requisitioned a new one. Well, I've requisitioned some dots, and those should arrive in six to eight weeks, and then we can get your certificate out, too. I cannot wait. (laughs) I'm I'm afraid you will have to. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks a lot for coming in. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Okay, we're going to move on quickly to the next item on the agenda, which is innovative revenue tools. What are those? These are the tools. You know, they're innovative and they generate revenue for the city so that we can avoid raising property taxes with these cool ideas. Doesn't ring a bell, but please continue. Okay, well, we got got one for this week. Um, It's about science, which you might Mm -hmm. appreciate. And, uh, yeah, so you may not know this, but uh, there are some people who think that the world is not round. It is, in fact, flat. Yes, and there is is in fact true. Well, then maybe you are going to the Flat Earth Convention uh, in three weeks. I'm the treasurer. in Edmonton. Yes, are you and co-founder? Wow, there's a gentleman who visited Regina today who may have a few words for you, <laughs> Hayden. His name is uh, Curtis Bout, and he's a science educator from Vancouver, and he came all the way to Regina because he was going to prove using um, I need a sec, Erastothenes method from uh, 2,258 years ago to prove that the world is round and to measure its circumference. So what he has done is he's brought two sundials. He came here today and he set up a sundial in the Queen City. And then he's going to ride along, or he's biked along, he's already done this, along Highway 33, which is one of the straightest, flattest highways in the world, to Stoughton. Mighty Stoughton, where he's going to set up the other sundial. And then tomorrow, sunny day, Somebody's going to stay in Stoughton, measure the shadow there. He'll measure the shadow here in the Queen City, and then at the exact same time, and then based on the length of the shadow, you can calculate the circumference of the Earth and prove, therefore, that it is round. It's, it's all, they're in the pocket of big sphere. Well, maybe they are, but, but. that's not the innovative revenue tool okay. for today. Because okay. 
big sphere doesn't have a lot of money apparently i tried to like tap them for a bit of cash <laughs> but they weren't forthcoming so what i thought we could do we've got highway 33 longest straightest flattest highway all the way to stoughton in the world i'm thinking what we could then do is run the longest tin can phone from the queen city to stoughton my God. Money. You, it's money. just all money. It's just, yeah, just pure People profit. People come from all over to see the longest tin can phone on the planet, and we can just cut off SaskTel service to Stoughton <laughs> and save so much money. That seems like a really... I'm not sure where the money is in cutting off SaskTel service to Stoughton, but sure. I just always wanted to cut off the phone to Stoughton. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, enough of enough of your obsession with, with like, isolating Stoughton. <laughs> it's coming. Okay, well, that's it uh, for that innovative revenue tool. If it doesn't catch on, we fortunately have a few more here. Hi, I'm local blogger Kenton DeYoung. Did you know the basement of St. Paul's Cathedral is a colibarium which stores over 150 urns? The basement also holds a quilt brought back from World War II, but has decayed so much that it's too delicate to hang. The imagery on the quilt shows a scene from the New Testament, Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28, where Jesus removes a demon from a Canaanite woman's daughter. Nobody knows who made this quilt, where it's from, or why it has this scene on it. It's a Regina fact. You'll find more Regina facts on my blog, KentonDeYoung.com, and every week on the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 CJTR, Regina Community Radio. All right, we're back from Innovative Revenue Tools. Wow, that was great. I have enjoyed those tools. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I also enjoyed, of course, that sounds like a brand new City of Regina fact. It was. Yeah. Well, newish. And I, I, of course, have a Canton de Jong fact. Oh, excellent. Actually, I have two Canton de Jong facts. Uh, my first Canton de Jong fact is that he spells his name with a silent Q. But That's it moves, true. But it moves around, so every time he writes his name down, the Q appears in a different location. Yeah. Sometimes it's behind you. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's under the table. Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, and the Q is at the foot of your bed, just staring at you, staring, my God, why won't it stop? Mm-hmm. Second fact about Kenton is that he's here in the studio with us. Right That's now, true. In the sub-basement. Hey, Kenton. Hi. Hello, Kenton. Thank you for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? Have a pleasure. Good. It's good. Yeah. I, no, no straight cues. You didn't bring any cues with you again, did oh, you? Last time I'm at home today. Oh, good. Cute. They were a little bit Thanks. scary last <laughs> night, so I told them to stay home. <laughs> um, well, before uh, we want to talk to you about a thing you're doing, mm-hmm. but before mm-hmm. we get to that, I just want to run through a quick news item. Mm. Greyhound bus gone. Boom. Gone. It. It's gone. Yeah. It's what? gone. It's gone. Yeah, there's no more Greyhound. Did it so find they, a rabbit and run after it? And I think that must be it. Wow. It lost the race, finally, and so they had to put it down. Well, However, I hear that now that Greyhound bus is gone, some other mode of transportation will arise to fill in that gap somehow, maybe. Right. This I've, is your teleportation scheme, isn't it? Yes. Yes. I've been in conversation with Scott Moe, and I've assured him that we can, like, teleport cheaply and easily. Awesome. Yeah. People will be happy to hear that. They will be, because yeah. I don't think they'll be happy that we don't have pub- any, pub- any tra- public transit outside Between the city. cities. Anyway. Yeah. So um, this happened uh, just last week uh, that Greyhound announced that they were cutting off all service to Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. And uh, so I, you know, I figured that this is going to impact people in the Queen City. 
Uh, and as a good civil servant, I did what you do is you go out into the community and you ask people, uh, what is it that, uh, you know, how do you think that this will impact you? Um, media does a streeter, right? And so they'll go out into the community and do this. Um, but I was like, okay, well, what part of the, like, you know, I was actually down in Wisconsin Park. Mm-hmm. So I went over mm-hmm. and I checked out the teepees and I was like, hey, guys. What does um, what what does the closure of Greyhound on top of the closure of STC mean to you? Uh, there were not a lot of people who wanted to talk on a recording device to me, but um, I did t- talk to a couple of people there. I'll play that now. Uh, one of them, uh, his name is Michael. Uh, he's with he's been staying at the uh, at the camp, and then I also spoke to Chelsea, who's I was just like. She was hanging out there. She's with uh, Stop the Cuts mm-hmm. and uh, was one of the activists who was trying to, like, stop the cuts that, uh, you know, felled SDC. Uh, but I'll play that interview right now. Let's hear it. Michael Shepard. We're going to be losing Greyhound service. We've already lost uh, STC service in uh, the province. Uh, what do you think? I think it's barbaric, preposterous. Uh, people are going to be hitchhiking. People have no way around the, the province now. It affected us in a great deal. We need transportation. I look forward in going home and, and saving gas. And that provided me a safe trip uh, in and out of this province. And it's going away. Have you used uh, Greyhound or STC a lot in your life? Yes, I have. Uh, they shut down my access to my reservation. Uh, there's no way in or out of the city, so I can't come back and forth from my res. I used to go to Calgary. I used to go to Edmonton. And it was fun and it was great, but it's kind of upsetting that they're taking away that. Uh, where is your res? White Bear First Nations, and there's no access in and out, you know, there's yeah. there's no way back from, there's no more transportation for us. Yeah. How, how long of a bus ride was that? That was like maybe three and a half hours. Right. That's yes. a significant trip. Yes. So, it was a great deal to us, and it's just one of those things that they they take our privileges away, and I think it was a privilege, and it benefited us all. Okay. Can I first get your name, please? Sure, it's Chelsea Fluck. So you're with Stop the Cuts? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, and so Greyhound is shut down. What do you think about that? Well, I think the shutdown of Greyhound uh, shows that the government is incorrect when it says that the market will you know, fill in for our needs uh, regarding our public services, such as intercity transportation. So, you know, yet again, they are still suggesting that the market will step in we're actually asking them and urging them to re-examine this uh, and to potentially bring back STC because, you know, it's been about a year since the shutdown. There's been some new lines that pop up and they go down and it's not reliable at this point. The shutdown of Greyhound is only going to make things worse. So it's time for them to get serious about intercity transportation in our province. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut that off quite so abruptly. Um... Yeah, so that's uh, some some people at the uh, the TP camp in, at the stop of the um, in uh, Wisconsin Park right now on this. Uh, I'm sorry, some of the people that I spoke to had some very uh, I found uh, 
terrifying things to say about um, what the, the impacts that could um, come from this. Uh, one gentleman I was speaking to was talking about the man camps in BC, that um, these are the camps that are set up along any kind of like resource extraction. Uh, they're camps that are like, you know, 75 or more percent male. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of those with the construction of any pipeline that would be going through uh, BC, uh, any pipelines that get built in BC. And um, there are sex trafficking issues on these camps. Of course. And a lot of the people who travel through the interior of BC relied on Greyhound to get around. The women um, relied on Greyhound. And so uh, the loss of Greyhound could have, and that people are going to be falling back on hitchhiking. Uh, this could be a, an enormous human tragedy that we could be seeing in uh, in, the, in the future. So, and I don't know. I found it uh, I found it hard to think about the loss of bus uh, having that kind of yeah. a human cost well, to them. The loss of anything that impacts mass transit always it, it doesn't hit those with means, but it always impacts those without means, without their own vehicle, without their ability to travel just the drop of a hat. Uh, and especially, especially with first sleep, uh, as one of our, as one of the interviewees of Michael Shepard there, uh, indigenous populations are often, uh, adversely affected by this. I remember when STC was, uh, was cancelled, um, I knew immediately that a lot of First Nations people, especially in northern Saskatchewan, would no longer be able to travel, uh, from, from city to, to reservation with uh, any ease. And I knew that would be a hit for them. So we're just going to see more of this. We're going to see the lowering of options, lowering of safety, lowering of opportunity yeah. for people. Okay. So anyways, on that happy note. Um, yeah. Anyways, there's a lot of wisdom at that camp uh, beyond just, you know, what they're, what they're trying to say to the province with their protest. And uh, so, yeah, I encourage everybody to go down and uh, meet the people there. Uh, Canton. Hey. I drove past the camp yesterday, and it looked... I didn't realize how big it was. Like, I thought it was just a couple of teepees, but when I actually saw it, I was like, it was a lot of teepees. Oh, well, there's at least... Well, there's 13. 13? Yeah, when I There was 14 people. yesterday, and one had to go to a powwow, so... Oh. It, was, it was very cool, and I wish I would have more time to stop and actually walk around it. Mm -hmm. It was... I really want to visit it. It, it sounds like a great place. Yeah, yeah the people uh, The people at the uh, camp are... I mean, I was there on uh, the the Trespassers powwow day, the day before Canada Day, and the atmosphere was extremely convivial. Everybody was sort of just enjoying themselves, very friendly, very, very happy to sit down and chat. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I thought it was, uh, it was... It was a really nice spirit there, I thought. So, yeah. And an impressive thing that they put together, that powwow on, like, fairly short notice. Yeah. That they just, you know, they were able to assemble uh, an event like that in the park mm -hmm. on, yeah, on a shoestring, too. Um, so, yeah, Kenton, thanks for coming to visit. Mm -hmm. uh, or should I say, the angel of death. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it seems you're either here to talk about a building that's just burned down or people who died horribly, horribly, horribly in the, in the past. And you have not offered any proof that you are not traveling back in time to cause these tragedies and then come back to the future or the present and just exploit them for your own career. All true. Yeah. Kenton. <laughs> I have not done that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, anytime you want to come in and offer the proof that you haven't, we're willing to give you a fair shake. <laughs> 
No, no, we, 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 of course, we, of course, do not believe these things. We're, yeah. we're terrible people. That's all. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we are, by the way, the horrible people you're listening to right now are the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio. And we're talking with Kenton DeYoung, who's actually not a horrible person. Not uh, even, uh, Not even, though. Uh, <laughs> although, you are going to be doing a talk uh, very shortly, very soon, uh, on uh, the Spanish flu. Yes, the uh, talk's on July 23rd at the Artesian. Cool. Um, I think I've been here a couple times talking about the Spanish flu. Yes. But for listeners who haven't heard it before, the Spanish flu happened between the years of 1918 and 1920. And it took the lives of 330 Regina citizens. And it took the lives of 5,018 Saskatchewan citizens. Oh. So it was a very big event in our city and province's history. And it's something that we've all kind of forgotten about. That's, yeah. that's well, except us at the Queen City yes. Improvement Bureau, right. yes. because you come in to remind us about it every few months. <laughs> yes, except yeah. us. Yeah, you come up and say, how are you doing? I'm like, we're doing great. Well, do you remember the Spanish flu? I'm like, oh, I guess it's not so good. <laughs> I, got, I got nicknamed the Spanish flu guy the other day. Oh, really? I'm oh, like, wow. oh, that's not, not a bad... Not by no. us? Not, not by you guys, no. no. <laughs> I like it, but if you're going to be known for something, yeah, I like that. Just, you know, remember, sort of keeping something alive, like a momentous event like that. Yeah. So why a lecture? Well, I was thinking about a good way of getting the story out there, right? And I don't have the patience to write a book. And I don't have the connections to do a play or to go on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to just sit, sit down with everybody and tell them what happened? You know, talk about what happened... When the, when the flu first kind of came out of nowhere, how it evolved, when it went to Europe, how it matured, and then it came back to North America, and how it was so devastating. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's really hard to just to sit down and talk to someone about, so let's do a lecture, and let's, let's tell them with pictures and graphics and music and kind of tell them what happened. Right. So it's sort of like a little mini documentary, is what, which will be treated to. Exactly. Oh, I love I love that idea. With me being the host. Yes. yes. <laughs> You'll be the Carl Sagan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Carl Sagan and the Ken Burns, all in one. Yeah. This is. I, I love this idea. Um, so, how did you go about finding out? Like, I'm assuming there are some stories that you've discovered. Uh, so, how, how did you go about finding these stories for your lecture? A lot of it was done actually in the 80s from a U of S uh, student, now a professor out in Ontario. Mm-hmm. She did that as her thesis paper. So I came across that, and that was full of great information. But of course, over time, there's been more stories that have come out. So she helped me, as well as a professor at the University of Regina today, and uh, a professor out at the University of Victoria. He mm-hmm. wrote a book about, he called, it was a screenplay called Unity, and it was based upon the Spanish flu going to the town of Unity. Oh, yes. So uh, they've all kind of given me information, and so has another professor out in England. So we've kind of had all this conglomeration of uh, professors who've all kind of given me some bits and pieces and my own research with the city and the archives and I've kind of collected uh, I would say a vast amount of knowledge of, of, of the events that happened hmm. uh, are there any sort of uh, I, I mean obviously we're going to get uh, we're going to we're going to hear the stories but are there no any spoilers <laughs> well, I, was, I was wondering if there's any sort of highlights so just a little taste of, the, of what you're going to be talking about uh, something to pique the interest of the audience sure definitely uh, one of the things people don't know about the Spanish flu is that because it's a virus at the time they didn't have a vaccine for it so while they were trying to figure out what was killing everybody they were developing these different vaccines based off of the the blood they took from infected people making these very different vaccines all across the country trying to solve the problem and it solved the problem locally because people are kind of the same in all certain areas of of the country but it wouldn't do it 
uh, countrywide. And that's because their vaccines were bacterial vaccines, not virus vaccines. Oh, okay. So for the entire duration of the Spanish flu, they had no idea what this thing was. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't slow it down. They couldn't prevent it. They couldn't do anything with it. It had to run its course, and that's why it was so deadly. Right. Yeah. This was long before the time when you could identify viruses. That's right. Yeah. Yeeks. So, yeah, no, I mean, that explains quickly why why this did such a number. Um, so when you say, like, 330 people and 5,000 people, like, those are just, to me, those are just kind of numbers. But, I mean, what sort of proportion of of the population does that mean? Sure. In, in Regina, that uh, was 1% of the population. Okay. But about 10% got sick. So anywhere from two to 3,000 people were sick. So if you can imagine the makeshift hospitals that they make, um, the one the actual hospitals that were in operation and the makeshift ones, everything was overcrowded. People were crammed in there. People were trying to get help. It was not a good situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the death toll would be so high that everybody who got sick would be terrified that they weren't right ever getting better. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what happened. A lot in the farming communities, if they found out that their neighbors were sick. And that w- that happened. That sometimes whole families would die out in, in the country, and nearby farmers would kind of get scared. That like, what if they died out there, and they were f- no one checked on them for months? Because it was coming close to winter, so a lot of farmers rushed into the cities to try and get away from the flu, only to bring the flu even closer to them. Oh, of course, right. Yeah. Um. Well, it's okay. So when is that? Is again? Can you say again? That's uh, July twenty third at the Artesian at six o'clock. Okay, and people can get tickets where if they want to get tickets. Either, to either at the door, probably from me, or on eventbrite.com. Okay. Um, now, I should bring up one thing. Uh, okay. July twenty third, and this is a serious issue for me. July twenty third is my birthday, so I'm worried that this lecture will distract from the fact that it's my birthday. And people won't be like coming to my birthday party. Oh, I could ask if I can move it so your birthday could. Well, actually, it might be easier to just move his birthday. Oh, well, maybe. Yeah, I mean, no, well, yeah we can do that. We'll, I'll move my birthday to another day. Just, yeah. That's easy. Or maybe I'll have my birthday party during the lecture, but very quietly, so it doesn't like you know disturb anything. So if you if you're giving the lecture and lots of people seem to be wearing party hats, it's it's not because they think the Spanish flu is a party. There, it's, it's a combo. Your lecture, my birthday thing. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, we better hope there's no, like, poorly timed noisemakers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll ask people not to, you know, not yeah. to have any noisemakers. And then we can all go to the cathedral social hall afterwards or some such thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I should also mention there's another thing that you've, that you've interfered with. <laughs> What's that? So, I was planning to do a TED Talk. <laughs> About the Spanish flu. It was called How Spanish Flu colon How to Disrupt the Paradigm. Nice. And so I was gonna do a talk. Not at the Arte- well, actually it was gonna be at the Artesian, but not anymore. Um but of course my plan was just to like unleash a whole bunch of Spanish flu right. into the paradigm and disrupt it. That was That's it. Excellent. That was my TED, my TED talk. I was also planning on rescuing those Thai boys from the cave on the twenty third, um, and now I'm not going to bother because I'm going to go to Kenton's lecture. Okay. No, they're already rescued. <laughs> they're, they're safe. <laughs> they're already safe. Oh, what yeah. a monster would I be? Talk to that. Um, but anyway, so now we're just being very silly. Yeah. Uh, I, I had another question for you. Yes. Uh, Kenton, man about the province, world traveler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is summertime. Yes. Can you name a few road trips 
that uh, people should be taking, people from the Queen City should be taking just outside the borders. We don't want to get too far away from home. Uh, but yeah, what's some good stuff to see in the province this summer? A lot of good, a lot of great things seen in the province this summer. Uh, one thing that really comes to mind is just north of a Swift Current, uh, there are the Great Sand Hills. Mm-hmm. So I went there last summer, and they are incredible. So like the Athabasca Sand Hills sand dunes are fantastic, but they're really up north. This one, it's a lot closer. It's a couple hours away. Uh, it's a pretty much a day trip. Um, you bring like a crazy carpet or something, so you can go down the hills and just it, it's really fun. Uh, another great one to go. Uh, wait, are you, but isn't there like concern about like sandworms, like? You mean like in like from Dune? Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean because yeah. um, isn't that where we get the spice from? Yes, and the spice must flow, so yeah. but tourism keeps the thing uh, keeps oh, the okay. going. Yeah, okay. Okay. It's, it's a protected area, so there shouldn't be any giant sandworms there. Okay, good. You might find little sand mice, but my, mice are cute. Oh yeah, and they don't eat you usually. <laughs> usually, usually. You know what? You know what desert mouse is in the language of the Freeman? Move on deep. That's true. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, another really great place I visited just a couple weeks ago, um, just south of Estevan. I'm going to say it wrong, so if they hear us, hear me, I, I apologize in advance. I believe it's pronounced uh, Roque Pierce. I think it's Roche, Roche per se or Roche Pierce. I, I knew I was going to say it wrong. It's, it's French. It's French. <laughs> Uh, it's this really great, these really great rock formations, and it's named after like because uh, it looks like it's been pierced rock. That's kind of what the translation is, oh. and it was very important to the Aboriginal people before the uh, RCMP came through here in the early 1880s, 1870s, something like that. So it, it's been around for centuries, and, and you, you can look at old pictures of it. I put this picture on my blog. You can see how it used to look like in the in the ten, in 1910s and so with the uh, with the pioneers. And they're old junky cars. It's a really cool area to walk around. And there's some cool little cave networks you can crawl around and explore, too. Cool. That was cool. And if you're into caves... I don't know that I am, actually, after the news of the last week. But go on. (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, There's some great cave networks up by Flimflon. It's a bit more of a drive, but you can go actually go there and go into these, uh, these caverns. And I haven't... It's on my list for this summer. I haven't gone there yet, but they look amazing. Then they tell you not to go when it's uh, rainy, not because they're going to flood, but because they're slippery. Okay. And you don't want to fall into the caverns. Right. But the fact that we have caverns in Saskatchewan is pretty cool. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any summer day trips? Well, if you've got uh, a little bit of time on your hands, uh, like maybe around, if, if you want to set off in the morning, you can go to uh, southwest Saskatchewan. You can go to Historic Reeser Ranch. Oh, and I have like the full like ranch guest ranch experience. Oh yeah, ride a horse, saddle the horse, and then ride the horse. Uh, and uh, it's it's a it's actually it's a heritage uh, property now because right. it's a, it's a great example of like an early twentieth century sort of ranch that uh, is sort of the you can see the architecture old architecture modern architecture, and it's a, just a beautiful place. And the whole south, southwestern Sask uh, landscape is. It's unbelievable. I mean, you're close to the Frenchman River Valley. Mm-hmm. You're looking at all kinds of, like, uh, archaeological and paleontological stuff. You're close to East End. You've got the T-Rex Discovery Center. Yeah. It's uh, highly recommended. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Have you been out to East End? Not East End. I've been out to Cypress Hills, and that's okay. kind of the same area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah Cypress Hills. There's the, the park there as well. Just wonderful place. It's a great area, that whole part of the province. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And people, yeah, people love to travel outside the province, but uh, there's so much to see just, not even, you don't even have to go north. I mean, there's so much to see just in this half of the, yeah. of the province. Yeah. 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 How about around town here? Anything worth doing this summer? It's a lot there to see. There's a lot to see there's around. Nothing. There. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to see around Regina this summer. Yeah, okay. Okay, uh, we opened up, not we, I didn't do it. Uh, they, they opened up the... Um, <laughs> Um, Avenue? The Avenue, thank you. I drew a blank. I wanted to say something else. I'm like, that's not... I want to say the Artesian, but I'm like, that's not the Artesian. That's been open for a while. They just opened up the Avenue downtown uh, last month. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. And they've had great reviews so far. Uh, They've opened up the new uh, Board Game Bistro. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's had great reviews as well. Um, There is a lot of great things. Uh, On Friday and Saturday nights, uh, 2010 Eatery opens up the top level of the Mosaic Tower. You can go up there and have dinner. That's better to take your sweetheart or somebody you want to be your sweetheart. Or somebody you want to push off. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) it. You don't want to be the sweetheart anymore. (laughs) It's beginning or end of a relationship. (laughs) There's there's plenty to see around here right now. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for coming in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, good luck with the uh, the lecture. And one time more. When is the lecture? That's on Monday, July 23rd at 6 p.m. at the Artesian. Right. That's right. Come, come for the lecture and for my birthday party. Yes. Yeah. Come, for, come for the Spanish flu. Stay. Leave with a gift bag. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Full of Spanish flu. That's, yeah. That's my gift to everyone. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Kenton, thanks for coming again. And, th- and thanks for the tips for the summer. Uh, Aiden. Yes, sir. You know what? I think we're like, we're, we're, the, we're at that time. Whoa. We're running, uh, we've run out of time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So time is no more. No, it doesn't work like that. Time keeps on going, but the meeting has to come to an end. Okay, I, I don't really see the distinction between time in general and our time here, but if, if that's the way you want to play it, then we should call for an adjournment? We should call for an All adjournment. Right, well, I'll, I'll vote for an adjournment then. I will second that motion. Okay, motion passed. You have been listening to Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We are Paul Deschen and Aidan Morgan, your hosts. Music from Guidewire, a.k.a. Ryan Hill. Your, our guests tonight have been Edward Willett, science fiction author, and Kenton DeYoung, uh, who has a lecture coming up on the 23rd. You should go, you should go see it. It's going to be fun. Um, if you think Spanish flu is fun, which I do. Uh, anyway, find us on uh, Twitter at Queen City IV or on Facebook. Also, of course, on our website, queencityiv.com or on cjtr.ca slash podcast. Uh, and you can also find our podcast on iTunes. We are broadcast Thursday evening, 7 to 8 live. We broadcast Monday morning, 9 to 10 a, or, yeah, a.m. Coming up next is a Nerdcore Cabaret with Medi V, followed by the cockpit. And then a whole lot of music. That's all. Keep on improving, driver.